Well, if you can uh, let your Bible flop open to John chapter 17, it should do that by itself at this point. Probably your electronic device does the same thing. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, if you are joining us or you're joining us online, somebody invited you to watch our live stream or you're just kind of new to what we're doing here right now on Sunday mornings, we are spending time in this moment to overhear Jesus praying to the Father in John chapter 17. This incredible setting that we get to listen in on the prayer life of the Savior of the world. And so this is, this is one who never prays amiss. This is one who has priorities that are being revealed as the most important things that could be spoken of. But we've called this the John 17 Project because it's the close of Jesus' ministry on earth. And he is transitioning to return to the throne, having been humbled as a man to do a work that absolutely needed to be done for humanity. But he is handing the baton of ministry to his disciples in this thing called disciple making. He's going to review that with them in Matthew chapter 28 before he ascends. But this is the moment where the centuries and now the millennia of disciple making are launching and they are launched in prayer. And there's a lesson here that I could never overstate. Everything pertaining to the eternal work of the kingdom of God in our lives is intended to be launched in prayer. It's not supposed to be just, hey, we just live a life where stuff just happens. Yeah, the next thing on the calendar, the next thing in our life, the next event. No, that they are being launched in prayers. We stand before God and we bring to him our requests and we ask God to do things. So Jesus is bringing a particular request today. And in no way could I say this is more important than anything else in the prayer. But what he asked for today is so practical and, and it shows up in so many daily spaces of our lives. I, I, I probably would do a disservice to not say, could you, could you inch a little bit closer to the edge of your seat this morning and listen a little bit more carefully? Just because he's going to ask for a prayer about something that we don't always understand this is at work in our lives. And then we don't always heed the wise counsel and advice to our own detriment of what we'll hear in this passage. So let me just read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll have a careful look at it. Just look at John chapter 17, verse 17 and verse 19. Jesus asked the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 19, he says, And for their sake, I consecrate myself. It's the same word, though, in the Greek. It's the same word for sanctify myself. That they also may be sanctified in truth. Lord, thank you for letting us listen in on your priorities for not only the disciples that you prayed for, on the last evening you had together with them, but Lord, the prayers that continue to inform our own lives. Lord, you pray this for us, for those of us who have come to believe because of their word. You have prayed these prayers for us. You are praying for us that we would be sanctified in the truth. So Father, no matter where we are this morning, would you open our hearts, do the hard work, Lord, do the hard work of opening our hearts and inclining our hearts to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, do this to them. Are you curious about what this is? I mean, this is the Son of God using a word that that we don't get around a whole lot. Do this thing called sanctifying. Sanctify them, Father. Do that to them. This is the passionate plea of the Son of God. This is the the hero of all of humanity, stands and prays for something. And I I have to say it in a particular way because Jesus can be a noble feature in historic thinking. People think about Jesus in ways that he is kind and caring. He's the ultimate human being. He's the one person that every human being somehow tries to find a way, even if if you're a Muslim, 
You're trying to find some kind of way to let Jesus be a good feature. Uh, that's, that's a strange thing to do because you, you, if you're a Muslim, you believe incorrectly about the Son of God in such a way that actually what you believe offends him. So then trying to believe something that's nice toward him is a strange thing to do. But everybody wants to be nice toward Jesus. And then Jesus' own words interfere with our belief system. And that, and that needs to catch our ears. When he says, sanctify them in the truth. When you hang the truth thing on this thing and you stop just saying sanctify them, you, you've qualified that word massively. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that today in our information age. This is not an invitation. This is not a prayer request by the Son of God. Sanctify them in information. It is, it is exclusive. It is narrow. It is his words. So you, you can't blame this on anybody else, right? You can't walk out of this meeting or shut the live stream off today because that dude's narrow-minded. Uh, I, hey, I'm just repeating the words of that dude. These are not my words. These are the words written in Holy Scripture, spoken by the Jesus of history, the Son of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Right, so let's get familiar with some words here because they're, they're not words we use every day. And, for, and to a great degree, I'm glad of that. Anytime we unpack words that are very familiar to us, the unfortunate thing is they've already got baggage. Right? If I say church to you, already got baggage, doesn't it? You grew up going to church. You have a definition for church. You have some ideas about church. Your aunt went to church. That weird uncle of yours went to church. I mean, you got a bunch of thoughts about church before I even touch the subject. But if I pull out the word sanctify, there's not a whole lot there. I'm grateful for that, right? So we don't have to overcome a lot of things, but we do need to get informed about it. So this, this word here comes from a family of Greek words, the word sanctify is the verb form of the Greek word hagiazo. That's, that's the word in the original language, which comes from the word in the Greek for holy, which is hagios. So when we hear the word sanctify them, the language is associated with holiness, the idea of being holy. So uh, make them holy would be another translation for sanctify them. That's the prayer request of Jesus. David Paulson has written an outstanding book. It's a short read. How does sanctification work? Every Christian should read this. Every minister in the church, anybody doing leadership should be reading this book. He says, like the word save, sanctify has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. And this is very important because you and I can maybe notice one of those at the expense of another one. When did you get saved? Right, so I'm going to think back to an event in 1979 in my life where faith came into my heart. I believed on Jesus Christ. So it's correct for me to, to look back at that. But the way the Bible speaks about salvation, it speaks of it in a present sense as well. So it is accurate for me to say, I, I was saved in 1979. I am being saved right now, and I will be saved. And sanctification, the holiness idea, has those three phases to it as well. So there is a moment in which God set us apart at a moment in time that is a past tense event. We were sanctified. Everybody in this room, you were sanctified. Now, now don't get weird and say, well, then stop asking to be sanctified. Because Jesus is asking for you to be sanctified. He's praying in the right now that that which has a past tense completion dimension is going to have a future, act, a, a right now activity to it. And it's going to have a future activity to it. So when I read the Bible, I, I can't just separate myself into the past activity, although there is a completed work of God that has set me apart in a sense of being holy. So this is my own little homegrown definition for you this morning. Sanctification is a journey of transformation, growth, and change with a particular destination. And I choose all those words very carefully. It is a journey, so there's going to be a little bit more tomorrow. And we're going to take a few more steps the next day. And a week from now, we'll be a few steps further into this 
thing called sanctification. It is transformative. There is growth. There's change that's always taking place. This is what Jesus was asking for. Transform them and grow them and change them. And it has a particular destination. So it's not just spiritual headed in a bunch of different directions made up by a bunch of individuals. It's going to a particular place. And, and Jesus prays this with some intensity. And, he, and I think he gathers the words of John chapter 17 into this, right? Here's the words you're going to find surrounding this sanctification idea. The world. The world. I don't know if you read carefully this, this, this prayer. The world is used 17 times. In this one chapter of prayer, Jesus speaks a lot about the world in this prayer. 17 times. And then he pulls something of evil into this setting. This Father, sanctify them because evil is present in the world. Remember, he's prayed for their protection. I think Pastor Peter did some a message a while back on God's keeping of us. And he's protecting us. Sanctification takes into account there's, there's something for you and I to be protected from. There's some kind of evil in the world that sanctification is trying to do something to interact with that. There's unity and oneness in this passage. So that has to do with our destination. The reason the Bible can speak about the unity is because we're all headed to the same place. We're all after the same thing in the spirit. And then he also mentions joy. In this passage, right before he gets to praying and asking for sanctification, he wants his joy to be fulfilled in us. And that's important, right? Because sanctification, holiness, because we use that word more. Holiness can sound like a non-fun word, can it? You know, when we talk about holiness, we, you know, it's, it feels like the margins of our lives just got shaved off and gotten really narrow, It's like, you know, anything you were enjoying up till this morning, forget about it. We're going to talk about holiness this morning. So every ounce of fun just is about to be drained out of this room right now. And that's what we can feel like when we talk about holiness. I I would dare say that's not how Jesus felt about holiness. He's praying this prayer so that joy can find its way into our lives. So from the Savior's standpoint, from the perfect prayer, his standpoint... He sees sanctification as a means unto joy, not as that which is going to tap into and rob you of all the fun you ever hoped you'd have in life. Right? Two things I think I wrote in your outline. Sanctification is understood both by its unto and its separation from. Right? So sanctification is moving towards something. It is unto something. It's going somewhere, but it's also moving away from something. All right. So this is a basic definition. I hope nobody gets lost this morning, but this is this simple. What Jesus was praying for involves our lives moving towards something and moving away from something. All right. So let your minds get busy for a second here, because I'm going to come back and ask you a little bit later to see if you can identify not just what you're moving toward, but what you're moving away from. Sanctification is a journey. It's movement. It's change. It's growth. It's transformation. Things in your rearview mirror, they should be getting smaller and smaller. Right? So can you think of any of those things? Right? This is huge because whether or not the prayer Jesus is praying is getting answered in our lives means we're moving toward something and we're moving away from something. Secondly, sanctification is understood to be part of a disciple's joy. So if joy is interrupted in my life, if joy is not present in my life, we are wrong to blame it on holiness and sanctification. As a matter of fact, according to Jesus, it may be that the holiness and sanctification that he prayed for is in trouble which is causing our joy to be in trouble. Remember right before this, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. These things I'm speaking, these things I'm praying so that they might have joy. So critical to our joy, according to the one who knows better than any of us, critical to our joy is our sanctification. Father, sanctify them in the truth. So let me just give you four thoughts to understand what Jesus is praying for when he says, sanctify them. 
Number one, sanctification is understood out of a reference to what is holy. So there's a concept in scripture. The concept of holy, uh, I don't know where the reference point might be for you. Sometimes holy gets phraseology that we've grown up with, holier than thou. And that ends up being a person who thinks that they're morally superior to somebody else. So therefore, it's about good behavior versus bad behavior versus being more noble than somebody else. You're holier than thou. All right, well, that's not the origin of the word holy. The word holy is a word all throughout scripture that draws its idea from the thought that God is unique like nothing else. What could we call that? He's holy. That's the, that's the word. That's the concept. And so holiness is not like staunch puritanism, you know, people who don't misbehave in these four categories over here. Holiness is about people who toe the line, only do this way. Their clothing comes up to here. Uh, that's a human distortion of a word. The origins of this word is to stare at God and to come in contact with the idea that he's not one of us. He's not like anything else I've ever seen. I, I, I can look at the vastness of creation and creation is not God, but creation is something God did. I don't know anybody else who could do that. And look at the splendor of it. Look at the beauty and the wonder and, and look at the creatures that God has made and look at what they're like, but they're not God. And God is not them. This is not pantheism, right? God is unique. He is in his own category. So everything about God is, I don't know, it's holy. So you could say, when I say God is love, you you understand the the Bible has, I would dare say, in fact, you can go do that, the, the number count on this, has more to say about God's holiness than it does about his love. But what's interesting is God's love is a holy love. Just like God's mercy is a holy mercy. Listen, I've been merciful to people. I mean, I get people pull out in traffic in front of me, you know? I mean, they commit the ultimate unforgivable sin. And and I summon something up to not flip them off or run them off the road. I mean, I just have mercy. God has mercy. How many of you guys know that I just did not reflect the mercy of God in my own subhuman uh, treatment of those people? There is a mercy in God that is holy mercy. There is a compassion in God that is a holy compassion. There is a rightness and a righteousness and a justice. Every characteristic you can think of in God is holy in and of itself because there's nothing else like it. So this word sanctification, it's about the nature of God. It interacts with the character of God. So when Jesus says, Father, sanctify them. Hagiazo, he's picking up this word holy and he's using it and he's saying, Father, make them like you. That's what he's praying. Which means sanctification, it's going somewhere. It's going somewhere that's already spoken for. Right, listen, there, there's lots of people doing lots of change in their life, right? The, the new year is coming. People are going to change their lives for all kinds of reasons. That's not sanctification. But it could be weight loss. It could be a new habit. It could be polishing up your life or changing. You could go to jail and come out and, and be reformed in some kind of way. And that would be changing your life. That's, that's not sanctification. Father, sanctify them has a destination attached to it. It's about the holy character of God. Jesus is praying that wherever we are, we would be conformed to the image of God himself. That's the prayer that Jesus is praying here. So there's one particular destination, and it's the holiness of God that informs sanctification. R.C. Sproul has written a book that every Christian at some point needs to read. Matter of fact, this helps you get an understanding of God correctly, which helps you get an understanding of everything else, right? Listen to what he says. He says, the one concept, the central idea I kept meeting in scripture was the idea that God is holy. 
the word was foreign to me. I wasn't sure what it meant. I made the question a matter of diligent and persistent search. Today, I'm still absorbed with the question of the holiness of God. I am convinced it is one of the most important ideas that a Christian can ever grapple with. It is basic to our whole understanding of God and Christianity. Right? If Jesus is praying, sanctify them, and there's this destination involved, and it has to do with the holy nature and character of God, that then becomes our destination. That's where we're all headed. How many of you know it's a little bit important to know where you're headed? But how many of us will acknowledge that, and at the same time, the holy character of God remains foggy, distant, unstudied, Write me a book on how to be a better version of me. Write me a book on how to fulfill my dreams. But but as a creature made in the image of God, your dreams are supposed to be in him, in his nature and in his character. So if you don't know the nature and character of God, which features the word holy, then you really don't know where you're headed. And you can't really understand anything about your life. Not from God's working standpoint, right? Right? Sproul goes on and says, how we understand the person and character of God the Father affects every aspect of our lives. It affects far more than what we normally call the religious aspects of our lives. If God is the creator of the entire universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the whole universe. No part of the world is outside of his lordship. That means that no part of my life must be outside of his lordship. His holy character has something to say, listen, about economics, politics, athletics, romance. Everything with which we are involved. So before I form my view, do you have views, right? You know what I'm talking about? You got views in these, you you got economic views? You got some sense of of what um, finances and provisional elements and rich and poor in the world, you got got some ideas about that, right? I mean, socialism, Marxism is, is showing up in our world in a lot of ways. So you may not recognize it, but it's in a lot of discussions happening all over the place. It finds its way into politics. It's got ideas about how to dispense money. Who should get? Who should be taken away from? Who should be given to? Government should play a role. All this stuff. You're interacting with this stuff all the time. It gets under some of our skin. It bugs some of us. Uh, Some of us know more about that subject than we do about the holiness of God. That's a different problem. But it is a problem. Because quite honestly, you're as, as one who's being conformed, you're on your way to the image of God. Every day, every day, God is at work in that. Do your economic policies reflect that? Can can I just rub a few of us the wrong way just for fun? Um, If you read Isaiah chapter 53, you might think the prophet Isaiah went woke. He's extremely concerned for the down and out And how they're being treated. And he's calling the entire nation to task. And he's telling you God is about to bring judgment upon you. Because you don't care about those people. That's an economic factor. It's a political party factor. So all these aspects of our lives. Before you and I go forming a view. What God invites us to do is stare into the holy character of God. Before we come up with our opinions. Before we support a candidate. Or lump ourselves in with a political party, etc. Because Jesus prayed for something. Not that we be part of that club or that tribe or vote for these people. That's not what's being prayed for here. He prayed that we would be sanctified. We would be conformed to the Holy One's image. And then that conformity would inform all of these things. And you might see some things differently once that happens. Number two. Sanctification sanctification has a single destination. Now, this is very hard to hear in the age of hyper-individuality. 
because you are being told over and over and over again, right? And I realize I'm going to preach for an hour and I'm never going to apologize for that. I just can't seem to stop. Um, but you're going to listen to a gazillion hours of social media, news and information, which, which all have philosophy running in and out of them. All of them do. And, and the philosophy that you come in contact with every advertisement on a billboard and everything that pops up in your ads and everything that you see and somebody thanking or talking after a football game, everything's got a philosophy in it. And one of those is you do you. You do you to the utmost degree that you can possibly figure out how to do you and don't let anybody get in your way. Right? Isn't that where people get their anger from? They found out somebody else was standing in the way of that guy doing him. That's the one thing you can guarantee everybody's going to be mad about. But Jesus doesn't sit on this evening, the last time he's together with his disciples and praying, Father, help them all to do them. <laughs> Peter, I'm praying for you, man. You do you, buddy. All right? You know, you that ear slicing thing, just chop ears off all over the place from now on. It's going to be really cool. You do you, man. I'm, I'm with you. That's not Jesus' prayer. He says, hey, you do him. You do him. That's what you do. Everybody do him. That's what he's after here. But something happened in our world, in our Western world, in our American world. And, and, you know, my best historical shot at it is it happens in the 60s and 70s in a profound way. And some of you are old enough to remember Burger King helped to start it. 1973, have it your way. Let's all sing together. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. You see? All right, so imagine that's from 1973. You had no device in your pocket. You only watched TV a little bit. And you are, all these years later, you could still sing that song. Can you imagine the stuff we're holding on to? And that's holding on to us. So while everybody else has got to do hamburgers the way everybody else does, you don't get to have what you want, but if you come to us, you can do you. Right? Burger King was way ahead of their time, way ahead, installing this idea. Now, now, let me be careful. God has installed in his universe uniqueness individuality, right? You don't get past the initial moment of human beings being created that God doesn't differentiate them. Let us make man in our own image, male and female. Now, two people, two different people. One is male, one is female. The characteristics, the particulars of their life are different from one another. From the moment they were created, God made them unique and different. But they are doing one thing, aren't they? Let us make this in our image. God is making his image by two distinct people doing one thing. They're not doing two different things. This is not, let me go off and form the League of Women and go off and form the League of Men. And we're going to be about men and we're going to be about women. No, no, we're going to be about one thing. The image of God, that's the one thing. But you're not going to do it exactly the same way. right? And this is true throughout Scripture. There, are, there is uniqueness. There is design. God makes us individuals. When you get to the New Testament, and you get to, to Paul's illustration of the one body of Christ. One body with one head, but many members. Many parts. And he goes out of his way to describe them uniquely, differently, one from another. And how this one's not like that one. This one seems more important, but it's got a different role. It's got an eye and there's a foot and there's a toe. And he illustrates the fact that it takes many to do one thing. So this is not an advertisement for, you know, some form of, hey, everybody should just be carbon cutouts of each other. We're just, we're just exactly the same thing. No, we're not. But, but an accurate picture would be, you know, in, in the center of all existence is God himself. And if there's this big, giant circle, 360 degrees around God, you and I are standing somewhere on that circle. And, and the uniqueness of who God has made us. Right? Maybe, maybe you're 
maybe you're a wonderful musician, like the guys that were up here this morning, you got great gifts and you can, you, you, and musically, you know, God's uniquely formed. You haven't find too many guys who are musicians who, who can think like nerds, right? I mean, they just think a certain way. And then the nerds don't think like musicians. It's like, you're, you're a wonderful nerd and you can figure out details. You can analyze things and see everything that's available. Uh, you probably can't play an instrument. I mean, maybe you can, but a lot of them can't, right? So somewhere on this circle, you're, you're a man, uh, you're, a, you're a teenager, you're, you're a senior citizen, you're an extrovert. Uh, you, you, you got these unique things that make you, and you stand on this circle, but God doesn't say, okay, now everybody turn your back on me and run as fast as you can into your own uniqueness. Does he? Jesus didn't pray that. Father, liberate them from any one thing and just let them do whatever they're individually wanting to do. So, cause that's where they're going to find joy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, father, aim them all at one thing. Make them holy. Sanctify them. Remember, and holiness isn't a curse word. It's a good word. Make them like you. Return them to the display of the image of who you are. From all of their variety and their uniqueness. This one's on his way toward you this way. This one's on his way toward you this way. And they're uniquely different from one another. So... Please don't try and turn everybody into you and call that sanctification. Do you understand that? That's messed up. You you need to let people be on the circle wherever they are because God put them there immediately. Adam, you stand right here. That's the man. Yeah, the M stands for man. Stand right there. Eve, you stand over here. The W stands for woman. So he put them in two different assignments to do one thing, to bear his image. So sanctification has a single destination to it. Sanctification, third. Sanctification is moving away from something. It is moving away from something. And as I said, the word the world is in this passage 17 times. And usually it is in the passage as a contrast, not as a complement. John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. And that's not a compliment. This is not Jesus saying, hey, disciples, take note. Got this place. It's like a vacation land. It's Disney World for people. Go, enjoy. No, it's the world who hates the word that God has revealed to his disciples. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So now, now the evil one, you just see the flow of thought here? Jesus depicts a hostility between his disciples and the world. And the next thought that comes is there's an evil one present. That just makes sense that that's part of the prayer because that's where the hostility comes from. This world has been tapped into, hacked into, if you will, the enemy of God, the spiritual being called Satan. He hacked into the world and now he sends his messages everywhere. And if you dial into the network, he's dialed in before you got there. He's already speaking his message. I do not ask you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When Jesus prays about sanctification, he sees the world as influential in these disciples' lives. He specifically talks to his father. I have this goal and this destination in mind, that they become conformed to your image. They would be holy, sanctified. But you know what's going to be in the way of that? The world, the evil one, is going to get in the way of what I'm just praying about right there. Right? You have the Apostle John who's writing the Gospel of John. What kind of mark do you think this prayer? He wrote this down. He observed Jesus depicting a hostility between the purposes of God, the word of God, the truth of God in the world. And then some 40 years later, the apostle John will write these words in 1 John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that's in the world, this is not a compliment. 
all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. All right, so you and I are going to walk out of here today. Matter of fact, we don't even have to walk out of here. The world has been sending you signals. Have you been checking your cell phone while you've been here? Right, there's something has come to you. And everything that comes to us, Jesus is praying that we be sanctified. Everything that comes to us is coming from a source. Jesus depicts the world not as a friendly source, but as a hostile source, as a place that's been influenced by an evil one, as a place that's substituted something else. So now it's corrupted. It's got desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and pride of life that are not from the father, not from the father. And Jesus in some way installs a little bit of an allergic response to the world. So question, is that how we see the world? When you cipher through doing life every day. Is that how you see the world? Let me make an anecdotal observation. In my span of being a Christian, I got saved in 1979. If you were saved, I'm going to just, I'm making these numbers up, but they're decent estimates, I think. If you were saved in the 60s, 70s, or early 80s, you were saved into a setting that that featured, featured separation from the world as a priority. It was one of the most clear things you came in contact with. It was immediate. You know, some of you guys, if you were younger and you remember getting saved and people, people burned books and they burned their albums and it just, it was just this, they just cut off. The, the word separation was huge and emphasized. All right, let's, let's, let's own this. Those of us who are owner, uh, older, uh, there were elements in which that separation went beyond what the Bible made clear. We began to separate from things that maybe the Bible really didn't call you to separate from that. Maybe it didn't call you to separate that way from that. Maybe it didn't call you to label that in such a way that anybody who ever got around that, you now had a low opinion of. And the church became an environment, eventually, where people were measured by developing your own rules of sanctification, right? And can I just, can I just say that's, that's a problem for us today. It's a problem. I'm 58 years old. Uh, I'm, I'm the, the last year of baby boomers. It was a problem created by our generation, baby boomers. We took a theology and we went too far with it in some categories. And I think we need to own that and recognize uniquely how we did that and how we mislabeled some things, right? I'm going to a little bit later in the message, I'm going to reference Colossians chapter two. You know, Colossians chapter two is Paul correcting people who have taken their own styles and traditions and philosophies and required them of other believers. And he's going to raise the question, what? Why do you submit to such decrees as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all have the appearance of godly wisdom, but they're really self-made religion and they have no power against the flesh. All right. So at some point, that's part of the story of those of us 60s, 70s, early 80s got, got saved. But if you're saved in the 90s and the early 2000s, separation from the world like went dormant. It got very quiet. It wasn't featured in messages. It wasn't talked about a lot. There was some sincerity in the attempt here, right? Because we want people to come to Christ. We don't want to pollute that with all these other ideas. So it's just, we're just after decisions for Jesus. And so a lot of these other things just got downplayed. They stopped get, making messages. They, they weren't influential anymore. In the 90s, Early 2000s, a particular style of church became very popular. It still is to this day. Uh, some of you will remember it coming on the scene, late 1980s, the seeker-sensitive church. Later became called the attractional model church. 
The story was told, one of the biggest seeker-sensitive churches was a church out of Chicago called Willow Creek. And it became this mega church, not overnight, but pretty quickly, massively influential. And then the bigger your church gets, the more voice your ideas get. So publications, conferences, lots of ideas now being published everywhere. This is how you do church. And so these massive crowds would, you know, would, would bear witness that, yeah, this is how you do church. And the philosophy begins with, we're going to build this church based on what you, the unbeliever, would like to see in church. And that's how they actually would go door to door. And people who weren't going to church were unchurched, uninterested in church. What would you be interested in in a church? What would you be interested in a church? What would you be interested in as a church? Can you line up on the circle with me? What would you be interested in in church? What would you be interested in the church? If that person, and here's God, and that person's facing in this direction, you ask them that question, you're not going to get a very good answer, are you? You know, if I'm an introvert, I want it to kind of flow out of my own introvert ideas. If, if I've got certain liberal ideas and thinking, I want it to touch that. And, and we're trying to be seeker sensitive. But do you understand the Bible is seeking people who are not seeking God? They are seeking their own. The Bible doesn't inform that there is a seeker sensitivity, that seekers are sensitive to God. That's not in the Bible. They're sensitive to what they want because we've all become corrupted by sin. An attractional model seeks to attract people based on their goals, their preferences, their ideas. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them. Get them to all aim at you as the ultimate thing that they're interested in. So so I, I am seeking to build a church that's after what he's after. Not after what each individual is after. And so for generations now, churches have existed that have downplayed the idea that God would mess with your world. That God might have a low opinion of the world that you and I come from. That God might question some of our ideas, our behavior. But when you read this passage, it screams in this category, sanctify them in the truth. So don't just sanctify them in the truth. And the world is depicted as a hostile place to this process. And those of us who got saved a long time ago, we got used to the terminology called worldly. I dare say if you got saved in the last 20 years, you seldom hear that word. That's worldly. Right? When we were growing up, man, we heard that a lot, right? Because it was a hyper-consciousness of what are, we, what are we supposed to be living this thing out? How are we supposed to be doing this thing? And, and that got in trouble in some ways. Let me give you a thought from a pastor. Mid to late 1800s, this is actually written down in 1878. J.C. Raw was an Anglican pastor in England. Listen, listen to what he says. His message was, came out of this verse in 2 Corinthians. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. J.C. Ryle says, The text which leads this page touches a subject of vast importance in religion. That subject is the great duty of separation from the world. The subject is one which demands the best attention of all who profess and call themselves Christians. Here's a pastor saying, demands the best attention. Pay the best attention to your thoughts about the world and being separate from it. He says the subject perhaps was never more important than it is at the present day. This is not a guy from 2022. This guy's 1878. How bad could it really be, dude? Well, this demands the utmost important attention. There is a widely spread desire to make things pleasant in religion. To saw off the corners and edges of the cross. Don't you love the way old writers write? (laughs) And to avoid, as far as possible, self-denial. On every side, we hear professing Christians declaring loudly that we must not be narrow and exclusive And that there is no harm in many things which the holiest saints of old thought bad for their souls. That we may go anywhere, do anything, and all the while may be very good Christians. In a day like this, I think it good to raise a warning voice and invite 
attention, which I hope I'm doing this morning, to the teaching of God's word. It is written in that word, come out and be ye separate. That word, holy, is a description of the God who is separate from his creation. He is unique. He is not polluted and informed and entangled in his creation. He is unique and holy. And Jesus is praying that that's who we would be in the setting of the world that is hostile to that process. All right, one more thought here. Sanctification is uniquely connected to the truth. Jesus says, not just sanctify them, but sanctify them in the truth, right? Truth is the defining characterization of sanctification. Listen, lots of people move away from things and move toward things. Lots of people do that. All kinds of people change. I know people who had terrible eating habits and they they work through weight issues and weight loss issues and they're in a different place now. People who were former drug addicts who no longer do drugs. That, that's not sanctification unless it is in the truth and it's, it's got the same destination as what's being described in the scriptures. There's lots of human causes out there. Man can do good through that group for this cause and it not be sanctification. Sanctification is in the truth and its destination is the image of God, right? Truth contains its own implied contrast, doesn't it? If I say this is the truth, immediately you know there are things that are not the truth because not everything exists in that category. So as a Christian, you've got to have two categories. There is truth and non-truth all around you. You interact with it every day. And I used this verse a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. Here's the birthplace of untruth. Romans chapter one, claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. That's the nature of God. That's what holiness is about. They exchanged the holy character of God for something else, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Right? This is why John can describe In 1 John, the world the way he does. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the the desires and cravings of the eyes. Well, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Stop. In the information age. Do you go armed into every day of your life with those two categories as living categories? There is truth about God and there is a lie out there. Somebody comes along, decides they're going to inform you. They're going to write a book. They're going to post something about about God, about life. Remember, life was, was designed and built by God to exist for a reason about him. And suddenly it turns into something else that's creaturely and that's from from the ideas of man. And and we abide by that. Listen, this passage describes there is truth about God and there is a lie. That's the alternative. Now, if you believe the lie, you will end up here, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. This truth thing is no small thing. If you imbibe, take in untruth and your life begins to be characterized by it. This is the destination of that. It's no longer pointing towards the middle of the circle where we're conformed to the image of Christ. Now I've turned my back on God and I have believed untruth. And my destination is in this verse. I will worship and serve the creature now rather than the creator. That's going to be the outcome. Jesus is praying the most loving, joyful prayer that can be prayed because he's saying, do not stare away from the middle of the circle. Do not pursue untruth. It will lead you to destruction. There will not be joy there. Your joy will be here as you're all being uniquely conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's in this passage. And Jesus specifically contrasts the world that's out there with what God is in the center. Now, Paul picks this up in Romans and he says it this way. Romans 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. If you got saved in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, that was one of the first verses you memorized. You remember that? It was on my memorization list. I mean, you just, you just memorize this quick. If you got saved later, right now you're going, hey, where's that in the Bible again? That's kind of important. Can I tell you, we, we live in a world of daily influence, daily influence. It is flowing through our veins at a more rapid pace than it ever has. Daily influence from the world necessitates daily, daily renewal from the word. And I know there's a lot to read out there. And I know some of us are hiding behind that dumb phrase. Well, I'm just not a reader. Well, become one. There's a whole bunch of vegan people in the room here who used to eat normal food. And now you chose to eat a select and you're pulling it off, right? Some of us can totally not understand that. It's like how, I don't know what you ate for Thanksgiving, but you know, we ate all the taboo stuff in my house, but something is capable of being done for you to do what you didn't feel like doing, isn't it? I don't really like to read. We'll learn to like it. What do you want me to say? Do you like to breathe? I mean, it's like, this is a means of staying alive spiritually. And, and for those who say we don't like to read, really? Can I just flip through your feed and see, did you read any of this? Any of it? I know it was short, I know, but, but did you read it? Yeah, and then you moved on to another and read it, and you read for how long? A whole hour while you were doing that? Disconnected ideas about people, stuff, and news. You read. This is a survival issue. A survival issue that if Burger King could convince people to have it your way, today... It's everywhere around us, right? I'm, I'm going to pull some thoughts from this book. I haven't yet read it. It's called The Chaos Machine. Secular writer wrote this. The inside story of how social media rewired our minds and our world. Here's how Amazon writes it up. Max Fisher, this is the author, tells the gripping and galling inside story of how Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and other social networks preyed on psychological frailties to listen to create the algorithms that drive everyday users to extreme opinions and increasingly extreme actions. Fisher demonstrates the company's founding tenets combined with a blinkered focus on maximizing engagement have led to a destabilizing world for everyone. Which is a fancy way of saying every time you open your device, it's programmed to get you to think a certain way every time. And the people who program the devices have figured out people like to come back and visit stuff that gets them aggravated, that makes them angry, that gets under their skin. If it's nice and pleasant, they're not going to visit it. But if it can get them and just bug the tar out of them, they're coming back. So guess what? Everything's programmed to make you mad. Can you figure out why the whole world's so mad lately? Well, here's why. But if this is the influence... God says, sanctify them in the truth, the truth. You and I are desperately in need of the truth. Let me make a couple of quick points and then we're going to pray. In this whole category of religion, Jesus didn't say sanctify them. He said, sanctify them in the truth. So can I just ask you to be honest? What, what ideas are you open to in the category of religion? ideas are you open to? You've got a particular personality and you like the way things feel and you kind of, you kind of bend towards love and mercy. And that's kind of like what you're wired into. Then you kind of open sometimes to everything, having its own sense of goodness about it. Everything's kind of okay. I don't, I don't want to be at odds with anything. I don't want to find fault with this or find fault with that. But Jesus comes along and says, there is this thing called truth. There's this alternative that happened in the world when the world exchanged the truth for a lie. 
and, and it polluted everything. And it brings you down a destructive road, void of the joy I'm describing. But there is this thing called truth. So there's things that are not true. So, so regardless of our personalities here this morning, regardless of whether, hey, I just tend to be a nice person. I don't want to, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter one bit. There is a concept out there. The second you open your eyes or you become conscious of something, there is truth and there is not truth. And you have to discern that. You have to become, by God's grace, aware of what is true and what is not. Jesus is praying that we be sanctified in the truth. So it's discoverable, it's knowable, and it's important. Where, where are your loyalties in the religion category? You know what I'm talking about? I grew up in New Orleans. I grew up with family members who were all part of the same denomination. I'm like everybody else who grew up in New Orleans. I grew up Catholic. I had uncles and aunts. I had grandparents. I had my own parents. My dad was a man who went to church every day, every day. So at some point, if I want to kind of connect with my family, there's a little bit of an expectation. There's a, little, there's a set of ideas here that's in my family. And so there's loyalties there. So when I started reading the Bible and I started seeing some things in the scriptures that didn't go with my loyalties, that was trouble for me. And I didn't like it. Initially, it made me run harder towards my loyalties. That was my initial response. But that had a strange effect because I began to ask the question, why did I believe what I believed? I'd always accepted it. It's what my aunt believed, what my uncle believed, what my dad believed. It's got to be right. But then I started asking the question. Why did I believe that? So I broke out Catholic books and compared them to things I was reading in the Bible. And suddenly there were differences present that threatened my loyalties. And quite honestly, uh, became a problem in my loyalties. Because for those who were loyal to a certain set of ideas, my different views felt like hostility toward them. And it probably were. I think I mishandled that terribly. But it was coming to understand something. There is a concept called truth. So let me just see how well you're interacting with the concept of truth before we pray. If I were to ask you this question. As you have pursued the one true God based in truth, what have you rejected? What did you used to believe that you've rejected? What have you seen differently that you're moving away from? Remember, sanctification is moving away from something and moving toward something. And it is in the truth. So we're moving in the truth toward the image of God. So which means I'm, I'm moving away from things that are not true. All right. So in your own life, if you did a survey right now and you had to come up with a list of things, what are some things that you have rejected Because if you could sit here this morning and say, man, I'm, um, uh, I'm, I'm not a lot, not a lot. Um, that's, that's not good. Because truth is understandable and identified. It's a category. And it's hostile to some things. So I came to this religion category with the idea that <clears throat> people are designed just to be basically good people. So there's an element of moralism to me. And as long as, as long as you're kind of beating the average curve, you know, as long as you're just a decent person, better than the really bad people, then you're okay. That's what I came to Christianity with. I was wrong. I couldn't hold on to that belief and believe the Bible. There were beliefs that I had been grown up in, either misunderstanding what I had been taught in religion, or they were not true teachings. That at some point... There had to be a turning from those things had to be in my back because I understood truth. See, there are things you are going to reject when you come to understand the truth. And that sounds, you know, I don't know why that sounds ugly, but this is Jesus praying this, isn't he? He's praying, sanctify them. And there's this world in this document that he prays. And he, he wants us to turn our back on it and move toward the image of God. That nice historical Jesus said this. And he said it for our joy. And he said it to protect us from evil. 
So here's what I want to finish with. Maybe Seth, you can just come play for a moment just for us to finish up in prayer. I got a room full of, let me just be blatant here because we're all one church together, but we're all, we don't all come from the same place. There's older Christians here. Their idea of the world is very different than younger Christians here. Most of us older Christians would say this. But if you're younger here, you need to hear this because the Bible speaks into it in a certain way. Maybe we're saying it wrong. But you can be too close to the world. You can be dangerously too close to the world. Jesus called the world out 17 times in this one prayer. He associated it with an evil one. He prayed for protection. He asked God to keep them. This is a real force. Don't think for a second that any of us in this room are exempt from the force that this world brings. The deceptive, powerful force. It will teach you to worship creatures and to abandon the creator. It will teach you that subtly, like a little drip into your IV over time. So there is a sense that we're kind of not all on the same page. Remember, and I already faulted the older guys. I think the older guys have turned too many things into rules that now the younger people are like, you know what, your rule doesn't come from the Bible. And they're right for calling us out. If you're installing, let me say this to everybody who's older in this room. If you're installing ideas that come from your, personal, your personality, personally the way you do it, how your family grew up, what your particular church tradition was years ago, if you're installing that on a younger generation, you are chasing them away from the Bible. Where the Bible does not make those kinds of statements and that kind of clarity, you need to stop making them. And trust that a holy God through the Holy Spirit and his holy word can lead people to their own conscience to make decisions about those things. But if you're a younger person in this room, you are part of a generation that I think biblically Jesus would even say, you're too close to the world. You're taking too much of it in. You're not discerning. And you flip through things and listen to things and hear things. You haven't rejected enough. When was the last time you rejected something? You guys pay attention to something here. I got a list in your eye. I'm not going to go through the list, but, but go through the list and look at what sanctification means in practical regards. And do that maybe this week. Maybe you should visit with the Lord. Let him lead you into some thoughts here. But sanctification lives in the world with Twitter and social media and how we interact with a body of ideas out there. Body of Christ, body of Christ. Can you stop liking stupid things. There's ideas out there. Remember, there's only two categories. Romans chapter one, you either see the creator and acknowledge him as the one to be honored and Lord of everything. Or when you turn your back on him, you begin to, you exchange the truth for a lie. There's lots of lies out there. They get packaged in all kinds of stuff and they show up. And people quote stuff based in a lie. And Christians left and right go. Well, I'm not saying you put up a skull and crossbones or something saying, what toxic, take your stupid idea down. Don't turn into that. But maybe don't respond at all. Maybe be discerning. Maybe be aware that as a Christian who's being sanctified in the truth, you're called to reject some things. That's not ugly. That's biblical. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But you do need to have convictions. Because your generation is failing to see the difference between the truth of God and the lie of the world. It's losing its discernment. And more and more young people that I talk to they're reading less and less of their Bible. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. In the truth. You've got to know this to cooperate with it. So I think I would join Mr. J.C. Ryland saying something he said 150 years ago. 
This is a really, really important topic. And it desperately needs our attention. So can I turn you over to the Holy Spirit? Can, can, I, can I just, please don't dodge. This is Jesus inviting us into joy and sanctification and change. So whether you're old or whether you're young, if your ideas are coming from somewhere else besides the truth, it's not good. It's dangerous. And we need to be sobered by it. Let's stand up together and pray. Jesus, you stared into the future, decades and centuries and millennia of disciple making, of going into all the world and teaching people about you. And you prayed this prayer. You knew what would be necessary for your church to be your church was for you to ask the Father, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You even said you set yourself apart. You sanctify yourself for the sake of us that we would be sanctified in the truth. Lord, this is your prayer. And in our day, when there's so much information out there, so many little philosophies and all kinds of little statements and all kinds of little places, informing everything from our economics and our politics to our personalities and our romance and our ideas about what's a good life. You are praying today, Father, sanctify them in the truth. So, Father, we ask for that as a church. Lord, I ask for that myself. Lord, sanctify me. Put me on a path towards the image of God that brings the joy that you prayed for from my life. There's something about headed in that direction where joy is found. Rescue us, Lord, from false ideas and impressions that we've had that the good life is somewhere else. Fun and joy are somewhere else. It's on YouTube or TikTok. It's in some experience or some location. It's in being around this group of people rather than those. Lord, help us to be made holy in truth and to be conformed to the image of your son that your joy might be in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey guys, real quickly, I know I've kept you late. If you need prayer this morning, can I encourage you to do this? Because if you're, if you're too close to the world, then the world has already got a hold of you in some ways. And you may need some prayer. You may need to go today and talk to a friend of yours and say, hey man, I was convicted today. I, I need your help. I need you to know what's going on in my life in this category and that category. I'm, I'm too far from God. I'm too close to the world. So if you need prayer for that this morning, you're welcome to come find our prayer partners and let them pray with you. But you can call a friend, you can make an appointment, you can do something. Don't stay where you are. Let God rescue you from where you are. Get nearer to him. Amen. Bless you guys. You guys watching, we love you. We miss you. Hopefully we'll see you soon.